Chapter Eleven of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Eleven: Many Barbarians and Much Gold. Curly, obeying her instructions, read on, and with every line, his conviction grew stronger that the conclusions he had come to were well formed. This is what he read. Having spent Good Friday with his family, our captain, deeming further delay but loss of time, determined to cast anchor and sail for the coast of Ireland. Here he hoped to do a brisk business at barter with the peasants and fisher folk who inhabit the shores. But Providence had determined otherwise. Hardly had we been from shore a half-day's journey, when, without warning, from out the night there rose a great tumult. This tumult, coming as it did from the shore, grasped us in its mighty arms and hurled us league by league in directions that we would not go. And being exceedingly tossed with the tempest, we lightened the ship. And on the fourth day, we, with our own hand, cast out the tackle of the ship. And when not sun nor moon nor stars had appeared for many days, we counted ourselves for lost, for... Having been carried straight away these many days, we expected nothing but that we would come soon to that dark and dreadful place which is the end of all land and all seas. "'Isn't it wonderful?' whispered the girl. Curly was too much absorbed to answer her. "'When we had given up all hope,' he read on, Marcus Laplone, a very old seaman, said we were nearing some land.' We took soundings and found it forty fathoms. Then again it was thirty, and then with hopeful hearts we looked for that land. But when at last it broke through the fog, it was no land that any of the men had seen, no, not the oldest seaman. But, fearing to be cast upon rocks, we kept a good watch that we might find some harbor. At last we were rewarded, for to the right of us there was a river flowing into the sea. The storm having somewhat abated, we took oars such as had not been broken by the storm, and some with two men to the oar and some with but one, we made shift to enter the river. Having accomplished which, we dropped anchor and gave thanks to God for the preservation of our lives. Now, on coming on shore, we found this to be indeed a strange land. Not alone were the trees and all the vegetation of a sort unknown to us, but the barbarians who came about us were of a complexion such as not one man of us had ever beheld. And what was more astounding, as we made a fire to cook us food, there passed by us, bearing on their backs strangely woven baskets, a caravan of these half-naked barbarians. And when we motioned to show them we would see within the basket, one of these lowered his basket. What we saw astounded us much, for it was all filled with finely beaten gold. The fellow had as much of it as a stout sailor would be able to carry, and there were many such baskets. When I made as though I would take the gold, he became very angry, and would have struck me down with an ugly spear which he bore. But when I laughed, making as though it were a joke, he gave me a small piece, the which is at this time in my possession, as proof that, what I have written here is truth and no lie. Now, this island I have shown on the map. 
the nether side upon which I am writing, as a star with six points to it, though the shore marking, nor the extent of the island, is as yet unknown to any but those barbarians who live upon it. There ended the main portion of the story, but in a bracket at the bottom was written, in some other place will be found the account of our miraculous return from this strange and mysterious island of many barbarians and much gold. As Curly finished, he glanced up with a sigh. The girl was staring at him so intently that he could not but think she was attempting to read his thoughts. Isn't it wonderful? she breathed at last. Yes, said Curly quickly. You expressed it even better before. It's great. He looked away. His head was in a whirl. It was the long-lost map. He was sure of that now. He remembered the figures he had copied from the other reproduction. They were blurred and unreadable on this one. Should he tell her? His lips opened, but no sound came out. No, he would not tell her. Not at this time. There might be some other way. Your brother and his chum, he said evenly, have gone in search of that island of gold. She stared at him in silence. If they haven't gone already, they may be gone before we reach the coast, he continued. They will probably go on Alfred Brightwood's seaplane. Yes, yes, she broke her spell of silence. That is the way they would go. It's, it's a wonderful plane. You, you don't think anything could happen to them, do you? Supposing they do not find the island. But they will. It is to be hoped that they will find an island. Some island. It's a wonderful plane. It would cross the Atlantic. She clasped and unclasped her hands. But supposing... He rose from his chair in his excitement. Supposing they don't find the island exactly where they expect to find it. Supposing, in their eagerness to find the gold... They circle and circle and circle in search of the island until there is no longer any gas in the tank to bring them home. Oh, you don't think that. She sprang to her feet and, gripping his arm to steady herself, looked up into his eyes. There was a heartbreaking appeal in those blue eyes of hers. I think, said Curly steadily, that my pal Joe Marion and I, if we find them gone when we get there, We'll take your father's speedy yacht and go for a little pleasure trip in the general direction they have taken. Then, if they chance to get into trouble, we can give them a lift. Besides, there came a twinkle in his eye, which was wholly lost on the girl. They might need the yacht to carry home the gold. Oh, will you? she exclaimed, gripping his arm until it hurt. That will be grand of you. For, you know, she faltered, I... I feel a little bit responsible for what they have done, and if anything should happen, I could never forgive myself. I'll... I'll tell you about it sometime. For a moment they stood there in silence, she steadying herself from the rock of the train by clinging to his arm. I think, she said soberly, if you go in Father's yacht, that I shall go along with you. And I think said Curly in a decided tone, that you won't. She said not another word, but had he taken a look at her face just then, he would have found there the expression that he had seen before, the expression which she had inherited from her father, 
the self-made millionaire. That night in his berth, as the train rushed along on its eastward journey, Curly narrated to Joe Marion all the events which had led up to the present moment, and as much of his conclusions as he had told to Gladys Ardmore. So you see, Joe, old boy, he concluded, if these young millionaires are away before we arrive, we're destined to take a little trip which may have an adventure or two in it. That is, at least I will. Count me in, said Joe soberly. I go anywhere you do. Good, exclaimed Curly, gripping his hand. And in the end, he concluded, I think we shall have told the world in a rather effective way that the air must be free for the important messages, that Uncle Sam has the right of way in the air, as well as on land or sea, and that he has ways of defending those rights. At that they turned over, to lie there listening to the click-click of wheels over rails until sleep claimed them. End of chapter 11